Hold on. Sharice and I haven't recorded live in like years, well, actual years. It's not that it's not live. Well, no, it's more like face to face. We haven't recorded oh. while be, yeah. sitting at a table across from each other since like the making office. Yeah. There's going to be some random noises because we're in my living room, my kitchen table right now. Yeah. And both and of our partners are in the room on. trying to pretend like we're not having a conversation without them. Yeah. All right. Should we get into it? Okay. Should we bring back the old paper, rock, scissors? See who goes first. Okay. Ready? One, two, three. One, two, three. All, All right. right. Wait. You can winner pick. gets a pick. I pick me. I, I feel like my focus can only go so far. So if I go first, at least I'll be focused for my subject. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by myself, Sheree Spoon, and Eugene Can. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making It Up is produced by Makin, which is original storytelling at its purest, through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals. Making It Up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex, intertwined world we live in. We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really we are working through things and we appreciate you working through them with us. If you like what you hear and want to help keep us going, you can support us on patreon.com slash makein. Let's get into it. My subject this week is about book clubs. This article comes from TechCrunch. Not where you'd expect to see an article on. Book oh, clubs. I hope people don't hear that I have a piece of mooncake in my mouth. Well, now that you've said it, they don't even have to like know. Anyways. Eugene talking with his mouth full. You know. I'm disgusting. 140 episodes. There's no more respect in this. <laughs> my subject comes from an article published on TechCrunch written by Natasha Mascarenhas and the title is Book Club Launches, so readers can chat with their favorite authors. And what this is, is a Salt Lake City startup called Book Club. Very explanatory. Launched just this last week to bring author-led book clubs to readers. It's founded by David Blake, Eric Sharp, and Emily Campbell. The main gist of it is this idea that the authors of the books themselves can join your personal book group. Book Club, the startup, will share exclusive video-based interviews with authors with anyone. And the authors might also engage in non-live ways with the questions you have. So yeah. there, it's not totally clear how that works. Probably some kind of text function. I recommended to this to you because you're much more of an avid book reader than I am. It's not that I don't read. I just don't read as many books. You read books, too as well. Books. I don't really read that many books. This is true Yeah, in terms of long-form books. So I think to start off with, the question should be, have you actually ever been in a book club? Unsuccessfully. Because we kind of did that making one. And there well, was I mean, we read a book. Did you yeah, read the I, book? I didn't. I thought I was going to. I couldn't, I couldn't get through it. Okay. I was just too busy. But that's what I'm asking. Like For me, I'm always very curious because, well, books themselves are not niche. Book clubs are themselves kind of a, a takedown of that. I mean, it's more like you go through the funnel, right? Like at every progressive step, some people drop off. So yeah. my, the reason why I was interested in this was in part, like, what do you as a quote unquote avid book reader want to see from a book club and how can digital tools improve upon that? But secondly, it's also like, 
how far do you take the whole sort of creating a social network for a niche? Yes. I'm not calling That's it a book a good club question. a niche. I'm just calling it like No, I think it niche. is. A, I mean, it's a specific niche. If it's you bring not- down my author, yeah. Like, let's say you're an uh, independent author and you have 7,500 really passionate readers. Yeah. Yeah. So it's somewhat niche. Yeah, I agree with you. I think book clubs are niche and it's interesting that book club the startup is very specifically for book discussions so i think that is an interesting point about it it's not about how you can become a better writer and not about how you can even be like a better reader it's just supposed to facilitate a discussion of characters and themes and plots and questions you have about the actual like chapters Mm -hmm. of the book so that's pretty cool but actually you know it's funny i do read quite a few books but i have never been in a particularly successful book club which is my question like i i would think that the reason why something is not successful in regards to a book club is because the commitment's quite high yeah i think that's one thing so when i was prepping for this after reading the tech crunch article which is really fact-based about what this startup is and who started it etc i went on reddit which a colleague recently called america's favorite place which i love so i went on reddit and i searched you know, what do people want from book clubs? And a whole bunch of these comments talk about their book clubs devolving into non-book related social gatherings, essentially, where over time people drop off or just the entire thing becomes friends getting together and having drinks as opposed to like actually discussing the book that they were supposed to read. I always hear about wine infiltrating. Yeah, yeah that's clubs. like the stereotype, right? Of book clubs where they just become wine drinking clubs that's not my experience with book clubs myself it's just that it is commitment that you have to all finish the book and then sit down and talk about it together and i'm not sure this is this is kind of like a trash on book clubs i'm not sure what the discussion is supposed to be because i don't think you can expect it to be really academic from something that's meant to be like a leisure activity yes and so it's really more about, did you like this book? How did it make you feel? Would you read another book by this author? Those types of questions. And then in that framework, I'm not sure that people who actually do physical book clubs are going to use book club, this startup tool. From what I gather, book club, the startup tool feels more of a opportunity for authors to be more deeply connected to their mm-hmm, audience mm-hmm. versus the reverse. It's almost like this is probably a wrong way of looking at it. It's like, almost like PR. It's almost like promotional. Yeah. For authors, it's which I'm promotion. not trying to say that as like a negative thing. I'm just saying it's not really like, it doesn't really start from a place of what book clubs are in real life. Yeah. I think it starts from this idea of like bringing, like you said, bringing authors to their readers. I mean, ultimately you need a unified activity for anything to happen and it just so happens reading is it for a book club i don't know about the term book club to be honest i think it's like you said in service of authors because it also seems like one main portion of what they're doing is producing their words hollywood cinematic level videos to have these masterclass type courses i don't know what to call them yeah it's interesting because courses or just ted talk like things from authors if there's one thing that i've thought about a lot is that the polish around the content we consume now actually 
requires less production value than maybe what yeah. it once did. Because this is what I'm going to, I'm not using this as an opportunity to trash Quibi, but I will. I mean, the, because, how can you read Hollywood cinematic level videos and not think Quibi? Like, like that's immediately yeah, that's what I, mean, what I like, think. Like Quibi, like, do you really need a talking head, like Hollywood style? Or in regards to what TikTok has shown, like I think TikTok and Quibi were actually the two main sort of like head-to-head bat- people battling, right? Yeah. And like, like obviously TikTok no contest. for the most part won that one. So there's something that I've, I've definitely changed in terms of mindset. And I think that if you looked at what Macon did four years ago, I would say the polish around it is a lot different than what it is now. And maybe par- partially resource driven too. But in terms of the amount of polish, like I don't think, I think what we realize is that the story is still the most important part of it. The story and the, the reasoning is more important than the actual wrapper around it. And obviously in the best case scenario, you have everything. Yeah, in the best case scenario, but if you don't, like, is it a good use of funds? Even if you are Quibi or book club where you have venture capital money, like, is that a good use of your money or could you possibly be, so example, book club raised $6 million and they've said themselves that they're going to be using that for video production costs. But I wonder, could you use that money instead to get more authors to join your network to commit to being a part of book club, I feel like that would be greater value than let's say get like 10 big name authors and do this Hollywood level production with them. But because that that's point, I don't know if you even need. So the thing that's interesting is that who are some of the best, most well-known authors in the world and just like throw those names out there and I'll let you know if I have a picture of them in my mind. James Patterson. No idea. I also have no idea. That's what I mean, right? Like Daniel Steele. No idea. But so for these things, it's like these are like really big authors, but there's no there's no visual connection. So what value is like having Hollywood production? Yeah, exactly. That's not totally not the point, right? And also, authors are not celebrities in the way that you know some of the people in Masterclass are celebrities, like Serena Williams. Okay, who I know what looks like because you see her televised. Most of the people that are actually on masterclass episodes yeah. or whatever yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. i can picture yeah and that's like not the point of authors right to be famous in that visual way so i'm not trying to say book club the tech startup isn't going to be successful because i think there is still something appealing about having authors explain their work to you i don't know that the exact strategy they have around video production and how they're bringing authors into the conversation makes the most sense. It feels like a very 2017 way to use your capital. Like oh, we're going to pivot to video. Yeah. That's a disc. That's a burn right there. I do think that thinking about, you know, to answer your second question about niche communities, about technology for niche communities, right? And how that can help them with whatever goals they're trying to achieve. That is really interesting. And we did talk about that loosely previously about people being able to make their own tools that would help them. And this is not quite that, but it is meant to be used by physical book clubs, Mm -hmm. which I appreciate. Like their idea is not that this is a replacement for your existing book club, but that this should take your thing to the next level. Yeah, It's like, filling a need that you might have with the people you read books with. And that's 
I think that's the direction that tools should go in. It yeah. would be cool if their tool is really something you can customize to your own group. You know, like it if it helps you guys create reading guides or keep you accountable on top of the fact that you're like inviting authors. I think that's that should be helpful. Yeah, that is um, of interest to me. No, I think I think that's totally valid. It's just the things that connect us are often maybe a little bit more profound than what we think. So like the fact that you, the, the book club is a top layer to get people through the door, but the real connection is not the book. Mm. It's never the book. It's more about like the fact that these people are aligned on this thing. I mean, books. Yeah. I mean, the types of books, like if you always. It's an activity. It's purely an activity. Yeah. Like is a bowling, like a Sunday night bowling thing and a book club that different? Not really. I think I was, I actually did see this subject before you suggested that I do this. Oh, really? Yeah, just briefly. I didn't read the article. I just saw the headline. And I did think it was kind of funny because I think the founders do have something there where reading and books are not heavily tech-invested things. Like, the most common book-related site is Goodreads. Yeah, I was totally going to say this sounds like but something But a lot of people reads. don't like Goodreads, yeah. even while they use it, which I think is quite funny that... So many people use Goodreads, super popular site. I didn't look up the number of users, but I know they've they've got an audience. Like they've got regular um, weekly users. And yet not a single person I've talked to who uses Goodreads actually enjoys the experience. It feels like an old school site. Yeah. So easily there should be a replacement out there. It's also owned by Amazon, isn't it? Because it's a byproduct of Kindle. I'm like 99% certain that's true. You are correct. If there's one thing Amazon was never really that well known for, it was like design. That's pretty good of a chip for me. Not a lot else. Will you be joining this site? I won't because I also think it's a subscription service. They haven't confirmed the price point, but it they've hinted that it will be that sort of monetary system where you're paying monthly and... I'm not even part of a current book club, so I can't see this filling a need in my life. Makes sense. Oh, there is this quote that I think we could end with from the founder. He said, rather than doing what's easiest or most accessible, we're trying to step back and say, what will it take to unlock the power of a great book? We're giving the book the justice it deserves rather than being Zoom for authors. So I don't know if the execution is there, but I appreciate the vision of being wanting to have a great book be more than just like that one-time experience of reading it does a book need to be shared to be good though no it doesn't that's why it doesn't need to be shared to be good but i do think the part of the experience where you question a book and you discuss it or you don't have to discuss it necessarily with someone but to do more with the book rather than just like read every single page sequentially I think does heighten that experience of reading. Got it. Makes sense. Should we? Let's move on. My topic this week is from new faces to hug art. Here are five major trends to be found in Art Basel's new online fair devoted to work made during lockdown. 
So this piece comes courtesy of Artnet. Late last month, for the first time ever, Art Basel launched a special event which featured a smaller overall showing of work uh, with a focus on digital art presentations. So what makes this event a little bit more unique as well is that it's the first digital event that required exhibitors to pay money. So they had to pay about the equivalent of 5500 US dollars to show, which is not a small amount, but it's also a big amount. So but I think what it does, for me at least, in my mind, is that it makes it more of a selling event. It's, it's more in line with their traditional events. You know, this isn't just for... Oh, it's not just like for... Exposure. Culture. This isn't just... Yeah, this isn't just for culture. Yeah. This is really trying to get back into that buying and selling art. Yes. That they would usually be doing throughout yes. the year. Yeah. I just like the fact that for most people, it just makes sure they're a little bit more serious about it. Yeah, right? that too. Yeah. They're going to think about which work they're going to sell. Yeah. So many of the pieces carry significance around the things that have essentially dominated 2020 headlines. It includes the struggle for racial justice, the vulnerability of liberal democracy, and of course, and this is part of a quote, just so, just so you know, and of course, the impossibility of simply taking an unfiltered breath in public without fearing for the worst. And what Artnet did was they identified five themes over the course of this event. And because it's a podcast and there's no visuals, I, for the most part, I'm going to talk big, like more macro themes. And when relevant, I'll give like specific shout outs and call outs. Yeah. Are you okay and with for that? For reference, Artnet does provide specific artists work but no photos. as examples. There are a couple Some, selection yeah. of images, but we understand like Eugene said, that this is an audio piece of work. So everyone can go look this up after the fact. Yes. All right, continue. All right. So the five themes. Close encounters. So works of art that spoke to the scarcity of human contact. So for example, maybe in 2019, an image of two people hugging wouldn't be as interesting or relevant, right? Maybe it's just relevant for the emotional aspect of it but now it's like emotion times or would, cultural it would just be read very differently wait did you mention at the beginning of your subject that all of the work had to be have been made this oh, year sorry i was i didn't mention that yeah, but yes I think that's quite important yeah all the work that was shown was yeah in fact done over the course of 2020 which makes it really interesting too because it's a it's not a big window it's not a small and it's sort of all encapsulated within this nine-ish month period. So to continue on, the second theme was escapism. And it's based on our inability to travel and the fact we're spending more time alone and indoors. So what this meant was a lot of surrealism, things that are not at all rooted in reality. Third one is uh, leaning into the moment. So these pieces were focused on what I call micro themes within broader topics around... 2020. So for example, it'd be like Trump's suggestion that you should use bleach to cure COVID and it'd be like Clorox bleach bottles or it could be artwork around face masks. Yeah. Uh, next one is something I find really interesting. It's a lot of paper-related work. So due to the inability for people to create on a large scale, such as you know, for a full room at a gallery, right? Mm -hmm. There was a lot of work done to the limitations that we all face day to day. So if you can't go out 
If you're not as mobile, then it might be with the work you create on your kitchen table. So in this one particular case, Ebony G. Patterson, who's often known for room-sized exhibitions, presented small paper collages done in collaboration with Monique Malosh. And then the last theme was brand debuts for new gallery artists. So since this show was digital, it allowed for new artists to slot in, which I think is interesting because for better or worse, in a digital realm, like bandwidth is virtually unlimited bandwidth and like, I guess call it space, right? Is virtually unlimited. Unlike in a gallery showing where you are confined to having only so many pieces or so much square footage. So yeah. that meant that some new artists who traditionally probably wouldn't have a chance to show at Art Basel in a physical setting were able to present their work in a digital setting, which I think is actually really, really cool because especially if a gallery is only paying, you know, 5500 relative. I don't know what it costs. I'm sure you could look it up. It, it is 5500 No, no, sorry. 5500 in a digital setting? I don't know what it would cost yeah, in a physical know. setting. But what that means is that, you know, lower you're risk. able to show. Yeah, yeah. Lower risk. And it's just like, I think, I think the way they'd done it was just like the perfect medium because it definitely still allowed for there to be sufficient work to be shown. But on that same note, it was curated to a yeah. certain extent. Yeah. I think what's interesting as well about that last theme grant debuts for a new gallery artist that Arnett said was the regular schedule for galleries had been like totally out of whack because of the pandemic and they're not able to schedule, which I think is a nice shakeup of the system. And it lets curators and galleries to just be like, well, we can't do anything we usually plan to do. So let's just embrace this craziness and yeah. show some new people, get some new artwork out there. Yeah. yeah. So there's something that I wanted to also touch upon that I think is related to this. And it's this Instagram account called CAM, the COVID Art Museum. And it uses this tagline, the world's first museum for art born during the COVID-19 crisis. Despite everything we talked about and it being digital, a lot of the work is still like physical, right? Yeah. So it, it actually ties back to the book club discussion too, because here you are trying to reinvent and redefine something that has traditionally existed in the physical realm and that has probably found a medium that is I don't, it's not recession proof it's more like it's resistant towards innovation mm. but only because it's that good of a medium or because it offers something that's really hard to replace so in the context of a book like how many people have told you like i don't like reading on a kindle right i much prefer reading on a physical book like everyone yeah, I speak everyone to. right and then it's that idea, but also the fact that, like, as, as you know, this work, even though this was done digitally, it's not like the, the showstopper was some quote unquote digital only piece of work. It so barely is. While COVID 19 has accelerated certain things and certain trends, such as e commerce, it seems as though it hasn't really accelerated digital art in that sense, where you and I might actually still be very fascinated and we haven't found the need to move on from a really great static piece of artwork. Well, I mean static in just like, you know, physical sense. Like I don't need some piece of VR artwork yeah. to get excited about yeah. because there's so much good existing physical work. Well, I would also guess that the pandemic might have pushed things back towards the way art used to be in terms of 
its physicality. Yeah. Because while we might have been progressing more towards like digital experimentation and digital types of art form, similar to how we are missing human contact, I think people are realizing what they miss that is physical in front of them, what they enjoy more being, you know, 3D tangible. I think what's interesting about this exhibition as well in terms of limiting it to art that was made in 2020 is how specifically referential it's going to be. I I just think of the people who own it. You are not just buying. It really actually doesn't feel like you're buying something that is necessarily like aesthetically pleasing. It's really you're buying documentation or almost like a record of this particular like weird moment in life right now. Yeah. You actually, that was what I wanted to talk about earlier that I forgot was in this moment in time, I wonder what it means to have general purpose things recontextualized under a particular pillar. So this is COVID-19 artwork, right? And traditionally, if you go to Art Basel, it's like, I'm sure they'll have themes and whatnot, but it's, you go to Art Basel, you don't go to like one particular thing at Art Basel. It's sort of, it's sort of the whole experience. And I do wonder if this is sort of, it's not a cheat code. It's more of a way to recognize how we communicate and message in a noisy world yeah. and create relevance. So is this work? that's done in 2020 that speaks to the pandemic and just like the, the general state of affairs, is it more deserving than something done, you know, 45 years ago from a really amazing artist, but is not relevant? Well, I guess it depends what our buyers want. And that's what I'm thinking about people who view this art network and are buying it. It's that they want this relevance. There, even though there were pieces about escapism, the escapism is still in relation to this moment we're living in. If they really wanted to like escape from their surroundings, then they would do what you just said and buy some artwork that was made 45 years ago. Yeah. Or when the artist like totally didn't know that COVID existed, you yeah. know? I think that's that's what I find most most. That I think it's pretty fascinating. And I also think it's so fascinating. I don't know if we're like overemphasizing COVID in this world, but I do wonder like 10 years from now in 2030, let's say you're in Art Basel and you see a piece where it's like, you know, the the date on it is like artist name, July 2020. Like, will you think, oh, that was made during this specific context? Because it's so, yeah, it's going to be a year that you're not going to forget that like this is what happened. So the reason why COVID is such an important part of our living generation is because it literally impacted everybody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I wonder everything that's being created in this moment, will it have more lasting impact than, say, the previous events that touched the world? Whether it's World War II, whether it was like 1918 flu or whatever. I totally, I, I actually completely agree because the resonance is definitely global obviously there are you know minute changes but a lot of people's experience is very similar versus let's say 9-11 which is a particular part of american history that even though the rest of the world knows about feels very different for an american viewer american audience 
But when something is related to the feeling of being in this pandemic this year, I don't think it matters what country you're in. You're going to relate to that. Exactly. And there's just so much content being created around this, right? That's different. There's besides a few photos that we see of stuff that happened and it's not. Yeah. I mean, besides some of the content created, you, you don't have that same reminder. Yeah. And I think it, you briefly mentioned this, you said this earlier, but the bit about how artists are making work at a different scale because they are, you know, in shelter in place, stay at home orders. That's really interesting that just even the format and medium of things is affected by the time we're living in. Mm-hmm. And that could be in the future something that art historians look back on as a shift you know somehow because of the pandemic let's say like these big installation artists wound up doing more smaller works on paper and then maybe they headed in that direction they kept going in that direction it's interesting because you would know better than me but what is the exact role of an art historian like i've heard of it but like what how do they bring value to culture and society i think it's looking at what's going on in a bigger picture among more artists and identifying like why that happened and so it's not just saying oh this is a single artist's life and this is the trajectory they followed but comparing it contextually to like what was happening in the art world before and after and with contemporaries mm-hmm. which is going to be an interesting time interesting because i think Historians are important, but art historians speak to like the cultural mindset of the moment. I think that's a good place to wrap up. If you are interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories, focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at Macon.com, M-A-E-K-A-N.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via patreon.com slash Macon. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at Sharice at Macon.com, C-H-A-R-I-S, or Eugene at Eugene at Macon.com, E-U-G-E-N-E. We love hearing from you. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up. I really enjoy doing this live. And yeah, I feel it. It's much better. It is way more efficient too. It is, because also your editing is going to be much easier. 